faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Today, 2.28 of Arthur the Bible in One Year segment. So, just a brief reminder of what you should have read to, been, to have been prepared for today's discussion. You should have read Nehemiah 11, 1 through 12, 26, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 33, Psalm 34, 11 through 22, and Proverbs 21, 14 through 16. So our focus for today is going to be on Acts chapter 20. Uh, verses 13 through 24. So, if you recall, we have been following, excuse me, we've been following Paul along on his third and last recorded missionary journey. We have seen Paul revisit most of the places in which he preached the gospel and helped establish churches. He did this as essentially a farewell tour because Paul knows that the ultimate end to his ministry is to go to Rome and become a martyr for the cause. And so now what we're going to see today is we're going to see the first part. Paul's only recorded words to fellow believers. So we're going to start in Acts 20, verse 13, and we're going to take it through verse 16 for right now, which says this, We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Essos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Essos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day we arrived in Miltus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Right. So what we see, is, see here, <coughs> excuse me, is that Paul sent a group, or the group of his traveling companions, on a head to Asos, a town to the south, but he stayed behind in Troas for a while. So we need to understand about what's going on here, right? Is that the trip was shorter by land than by sea, as it almost always is when we're talking about traveling these distances, right? Because you can go much farther, because you can travel essentially a much straighter line in on land than you could by sea, because when you travel by sea in these, in, in Paul's day, right, you were confined to the wind. You could only move as fast as the wind, or as fast as the people, or as fast as the rowers rowing your boat. But when you went by land, you could move as fast as you could walk, or you could move as fast as your horse would travel, or as fast as your donkey would travel. Whichever means of transportation you 
chose to use. So Paul obviously that Paul intended to meet this delegation in a prearranged spot and that Paul was then Paul then hurried to get to Jerusalem, right? Before Pentecost. So Paul was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem because he wanted to get to Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost, which was about a month away from where we are right now. So now we're going to pick up in verse 17 and take it on through verse 21, which says this. From Miltus, Paul went to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Excuse me, from the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house, and have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So what's going on here, right? So we need to understand where this city of Myotus is located. So it was on the coast and it was about 30 miles south of Ephesus. So this was a pre-arranged meeting spot with the elders of Ephesus. So Paul arrives at Myotus. He sends for the elders of the Ephesian church to come and see him on the coast about 30 miles south of Ephesus. So about a couple of days journey. So the speech that he gives here and that he's going to continue to give the way through the end of chapter 20 is the only one only one of Paul's speeches, Paul's talks, Paul's sermons, whatever word you want to use to describe it, that records the words of Paul to believers. So what are we talking about? What do we mean by that? So in every other addresses to believers, Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, only says that Paul spoke. He does not give us detailed account of what Paul spoke. So what we see here, right, as we kind of go through this, we see that Paul described his ministry as authentically Christian. So in other words, he described it as being humble, he described it as being urgent, he described it as being fearless, and he described it as being gospel-focused. Right? And he described receiving the gospel, right, as, uh, as being a thing that is profitable to all humans. And so receiving the gospel is defined as repentance toward God, which is, in other words, turning from sin to God, in other words, 
Sen and not returning to it, but returning to God and faith in Christ. So now let's deal with the rest of this little speech that Paul gives here, because that gives us the general outline. So let's get into specifics here, right? So we know that Paul talks about uh, in uh, verse 19, where he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, even in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. So what's Paul talking about there? So Paul is talking about the fact that on several occasions, right, so on several occasions, right, we know that Paul mentions he served the Lord with tears, right? So in this address to the Ephesian church and leaders, he's, he speaks of warning them with tears on a daily basis with them. You see that in verse 31 that we'll get to tomorrow, right? Which says, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears, right? So what do Paul's tears represent both, especially here, right, where it says, um, uh, I serve the Lord with great humility and tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. So what are Paul's tears expressing, right? They expressed his great grief over the spiritually lost condition of the human race. They expressed the evil of sin. They were an expression of the misrepresentation of Christ's message. And they were ultimately the end result of people rejecting the Lord. Right? And so Paul, having seen the risk, and having seen the realities of the these tragedies that he has seen, that has caused him to shed tears, to cry, to weep didn't just cause him to cry and to weep the more, it also caused him to preach and teach with such passion and such concern, right? That it ultimately brought him to tears. These were not tears of so much grief and mourning as we would think of tears being. They were tears of concern. Paul was deeply concerned with what was happening, and his concern so moved him that he wept of them. So now let's pick up in verse 20, right? It says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have told you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that you must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So now we get into what Paul was preaching about, right? So we, now we get into the fact that Paul's not hesitating to preach everything. So Paul preached everything he believed was useful or needful for the spiritual salvation and for the spiritual benefit of his hearers. And this was whether or not this message was always easy to receive, right? <clears throat> so Paul had delivered to those whom he preached the word to, he had delivered it to them, 
should he had delivered the full truth to them. In other words, he had left he had left nothing. So where do we get that right? Twenty-seven that we're gonna get to tomorrow, but here's a brief here's here's a brief recap of what it says so far says for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So what's the lesson that we should draw from that? What's the lesson that we should draw from this first little paragraph of Paul's farewell message to the Ephesian elders? And here's the takeaway, right? It's that Christian ministers must be faithful to preach and teach the whole truth of God just as he desires, and that includes the promises, it includes the precautions, it includes the blessings, and also includes the judgment. So those who are called to be Christian ministers are not to try to please people, they're, they're not to just try, they must not try to please people, or to preach only what they want to hear, and nor should they promote their own popularity. So even if those of us who have been called to preach and teach the word of God, even if we must speak words of discipline, even if we must challenge beliefs and prejudices, or preach standards that oppose people's sinful desires, if we're faithful preachers and teachers, we will deliver the whole truth for the sake of Christ and for his people. So now let's pick up in verse 22 and take it to verse 24, which is going to take us to the end of today's section, which says this, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So apparently we see that Paul has been warned by the Holy Spirit while he is on his journey that distress and sorrow and anguish are waiting for him when he arrives in Jerusalem and that this is going to be the most trying time of his life. And so it's from this point forward that these warnings are recorded for us. It's important to note here that Paul says he was equally bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. This wasn't just something that Paul wanted to do. This was something that the Holy Spirit was directing him to do. And because the Holy Spirit was directing him to do it, he was bound to do it. However, he never interpreted these warnings as prohibitions. These warnings were not telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. No, 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 no. These warnings were the Spirit telling him, hey, look, 
you're gonna go to Jerusalem and you're gonna face these things and they're not gonna be good things but they're things that you have to go through in order to fulfill your mission and so what we see here is that many of his friends as we read further on through this right they thought this was a prohibition they thought the spirit was telling him don't go and they urged Paul don't go if you go bad things are gonna happen to you right so we see here we see this reference right to completing his mission right which is in verse 24 which is however I consider my life worth nothing to me my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace so the reference here is to to completing Paul's ministry over calls Jesus' words to him over in Acts 9.15 when he first when Paul first encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus so what we need to understand here right, is that Paul fully intended to proclaim the gospel to to Gentiles, he fully intended to proclaim it to kings, and he fully intended to proclaim it to any Israelites that were willing to hear it, despite whatever personal troubles it might cause him. So in other words, in other words, what we're saying here, right, listen to this, listen real carefully to this, what we're saying here is that Paul's main concern was not preserving his own life, right? He wasn't preserving his own life because to Paul what counted most was if he finished the work to which God had called him. Even if it meant giving up his own life for it. Because what mattered was completing the work God called him for. It wasn't preserving his life. Because if he preserved his life and he never finished the work God called him to do, and the people of Rome would be spiritually poor, we would be spiritually poor, the entire world would be spiritually poorer. Because we would not have much of the New Testament now, because Paul wrote all of these letters and these epistles, right, to these churches, for the most part, either while he was wandering around on these missionary journeys and he heard about them, or as in, or in the case of some of the later ones, he wrote them while he was languishing in a Roman jail, waiting to die. So here's what we're saying, right, so wherever and however this was gonna end, even if it cost Paul his life, he was gonna finish his course with joy. He wasn't gonna finish it, hanging his head saying, I'm gonna die, or woe is me. No, he was gonna finish it with joy, knowing that he had accomplished the mission that God had sent him to do. Knowing 
whole world that when he passed from this life, when he died, when his body physically died, that his soul was going to go and spend eternity with Jesus, and that his body was going to one day rise up and get to live in the new earth that's going to be ruled over by the returning King Jesus. And what was on Paul's lips, what was in his life, was this. So on his lips in his life would be the prayer that Christ would be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And that's found in Philippians 1.20. And that should be what is on our lips. And it should be what is in our life as we go through life, as we go through the thing, as we go through and fulfill the missions that God has called each and every one of us to fulfill. Because for Paul, life in service for Christ, life in service to Christ, are represented as a race, right? And that race must be run with absolute perseverance, it must be run with absolute endurance, and it must be run with absolute faithfulness to the Lord. So what are we talking about there, right? So we go back and we look at the end of, so if we look, if we flip forward to the book of Hebrews, it was essentially what Paul was saying here, right? So, we flip forward to the book of Hebrews and we go through Hebrews chapter 11, which he tells us, where the writer of Hebrews gives us the faith hall of fame, right? And then as chapter 11 closes and chapter 12 begins, here is what the writer of Hebrews writes, starting with Hebrews 12. Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 1, here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As you see, the writer of Hebrews and Paul had the same mentality. This is a race that we are in, and we're in the middle of that race right now. And the only way to finish that race is not to look back on where we've been, and it's not to look down at where our feet are right now, but it's to keep our eyes fixed on what's coming. Because what's coming is what we need to be worried about. We don't need to be worried about what's right down here. Because if we keep looking down here and worrying about, 
oh, woe is me, what's going to happen to me, I might die, I might die, this might happen, they might not like me, or whatever the case may be, but when we fix our eyes forward, and we fix our eyes on the one who can do it, right? We're able to say things like Paul said in Philippians 1.20, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether it be whether by life or by death. Christ is, is going to be exalted. I'm fixing my eyes on Christ. I'm fixing my eyes on the one who is the author and finisher of my faith. That's how we will be able to run our race. To run the race that is our life and our service to Christ with absolute perseverance, with absolute endurance, and with absolute faithfulness. Because if we don't do that, if we don't fix our eyes on Him, then we'll falter and we'll fail. Just like Peter, when he got out of the boat in the storm to walk to Jesus, he takes his eyes off of him and immediately he begins to sink. The same thing will happen to us. That's what Paul here is telling these Ephesian uh, elders. He's telling them, I'm going to finish this race, no matter what the cost is, because my eyes are fixed on the prize. My eyes are fixed on Jesus. My eyes are fixed down the road. My eyes ain't looking down at my feet to make they're going in the right path because if my eyes are fixed on Jesus if my eyes are fixed straight ahead if my eyes are fixed on that spot in the distance that I want to get to and I stay on that path because he's going to be the one that tells me what path I need to be on if I stay on that path keep my eyes fixed on him then nothing life throws my way can ever pull me off that path, can ever derail me from my mission. And so that's where we're going to pick up tomorrow as we finish Paul's farewell address to the leaders of the Ephesian church. And here's what you need to read to be prepared for that discussion. You need to read Nehemiah 12, 27 through 13, 31. You need to read 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. Psalm 35, 1 through 16, and Proverbs 21, 17 through 